Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by soccer90.com. You can shop all the latest arrivals, including cleats. Shin guard, soccer equipment, gloves. Man, they got pretty much everything you can eat over there. All the latest FC Dallas stuff. Everything you can want to get ready for the season or the winter or the Christmas or whatever you got coming up. Third Degree listeners, of course, get 20% off when you shop at Soccer90.com with the code Third Degree at checkout. 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E at checkout. 20% off, code Third Degree, Soccer90.com. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to an unexpected episode of Third Degree, the podcast. This is episode number, oh, I forgot. Hold on, let me look. I've got it in the notes. It's episode 236. Uh, Hi, it's me, Peter. And uh, we're supposed to have Dan Crook. He's supposed to be here, but he's not. So maybe in the middle of this recording, he will pop in and delight us all with his presence. But in the meantime, that means it's me and your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and the original Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Uh, I want to give a shout out today by uh, Patreon Mo, who uh, bought me lunch today. When I was, Whoa! Yeah, we were, we were up. He was dropping off something for me, and we were grabbing a burger at Jake's. And I conveniently or inconveniently, depending on your point of view, left my wallet in my truck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Tap, tap. No wallet. So he bought me lunch. So I owe him. Left your wallet in yep. the truck. I didn't yep. know you were that kind of fellow, Buzz Carrick. <laughs> yeah, that was air quoted. Left my wallet in the truck. Oh, I seem to have forgotten my wallet. Wow. I'm not that guy. Well, no, today really you are. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I offered him money afterwards and he said, no, no, no. That's fine. Happy birthday and all that. Uh, well, that was uh, a, a very fortunate end to what uh, sounds like started as a very unfortunate beginning mm. to your day, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about that now, later. When do you want to talk about uh, that Whichever. Part? I guess we could do it now. Um, it's not really anyone's fault, per se. Oh, it's, yes, it is, Buzzard. Communication. Quit being level-headed yeah. and reasonable about this. Well, what happened was is that Dan and I both showed up for training today, only to have training clothes on us unexpectedly. And and um, you know, they tried to call me after I was already sitting there waiting to tell me that it was going to be closed. Um, oh, so somebody did actually try to reach out to yeah. you to well, forewarn you. They tried to call me at like five minutes after 10 when practice started at 10. So I was already sitting there. <laughs> Uh, the, the problem, what happened was, is that, um, their team's traveling today. And because of that to today, the coach decided to make today what is normally Friday, which is the walkthrough kind of final tactic thing for the game really. So that's closed. Uh, you know, and they had notified us earlier in the week that Tuesday and Wednesday would be open and I chose to go Wednesday, you know, so for me, it's a drag to drive up there an hour each way. And then now I had to sit around there for two hours just to get coached for five minutes, you know, since I was already there, I just waited down and I waited, you know, it's kind of a drag, but I get it. You know, it's a drag for me because I rearranged my entire schedule around being able to go up there. I could have easily gone yesterday. It would have been fine. And it's, it's not PR's fault. It's not coach's fault. It's just a breakdown of communications. It kind of stinks, 
you know, that, that nobody thought to figure that out ahead of time on the off chance that somebody <laughs> might be showing up and trying to cover the team. It was really discouraging because the TV and radio guys and the in-house PR guys were all there and all got to watch practice. And then Dan and I had to go stand over by ourselves. Wait, the, the TV uh, guys got to go in? Yeah, they always do. The TV people work for the team. Oh, 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 the crew that actually calls the game. I yeah. thought you meant like Channel 5 or Channel oh, no, 8. No, 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 okay, no. Sorry. Steve okay. Davis and... and um, Owen Newkirk. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So uh, quite rightly, they got to watch, but that was even more frustrating that Dan and I had to go by ourselves and stand over by the wall, the wall by the the facility and just wait around for, but you were the only other media there anyway, weren't you? We were, we were other than John Arnold, but he works for the team now. So, so they let him in. Yeah. He was part of that crew and Garrett and Mosser and, you know, yeah, that video you posted in your podcast preview of the two of you just standing by <laughs> yourself solo outside this between yeah. the stadium and the practice field looks so lonely and pathetic. Oh, we, yeah, we were feeling sorry for ourselves at that point, for sure. <laughs> that's a long drive for nothing. All right, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, you know, it happens. You're too level-headed. I know, I know. Diplomatic, I mean, Buzz. You have every right in the world to completely blow your top and throw your hands in the air and say, I quit. This is the biggest waste well, of my time in the world. But uh, I was pretty was, mad at the time. You know, I just, at some point you pick your battles and you just, you know, complain about it and move on. You know, it's not, it's not like someone tried to screw me. It's just, you know, uh, we're, we're very low priority. And that's, yeah. Well, it's called media. It it's called media relations for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Are, right. Right. So exactly. Trust me, yeah. if there were certain media members in the Dallas-Fort Worth area standing outside that practice field that weren't part of the radio crew, yeah. they would have let them in. Well, I, I can tell you that there have been several coaches in the past when this kind of thing have happened that knew me well enough to just say, no, you can stay. You know, and if invited me in, you know, or, or invited me over to where they're standing to talk with them or, you know, people that have known me a lot longer. And this particular coach has only known me for two years now and, and not in the same capacity that people that played here for 12 years would know me. You know, so it, it's understandable that it's a different scenario under this head coach. You know, I don't let me just put it Buzz, access I used to. Let me put it this way. That whole bit at the beginning of the podcast about your hero, my hero, everybody's <laughs> hero. Yeah. There's a point to that. And the point yeah. is, is that you are willing and have a superpower <laughs> of putting up with a level of shit that they give you year in and year out, unlike anybody else. And that is your superpower. And that's why you're a hero, because despite the shit they give you as an organization and the way they treat you, uh, you persevere and continue to do your job. So kudos to you, my friend, because oh. I certainly wouldn't put up with that crap. Well, thanks. I, I do sort of consider it my calling, so I, I try, but it does get frustrating at times. Yeah. Like today, it's, but you know, I eventually got over it, pouted yeah. a little while, had a little pity party. Well, I'm going to throw a hissy fit for you. How about that? <laughs> sure okay. That. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got your back, brother. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, uh, here we are. We are in an episode where we get to continue as much like a Marvel movie, when you think it's dead on the ground, and it's <laughs> deceased and it's over, it gasps back to life. And Dallas comes up with a big win at home in front of a really nice crowd uh, against Seattle. Come on the field, uh, just guns a-blazing and pop up to a 2 nothing lead uh, over Seattle and end up winning that game. And uh, it was a lot of fun to be there uh, Saturday night, Buzz. And, um, yeah. and uh, I, I just, it was a good, I, look, winning a playoff game is fun, period, the end. 
Oh yeah, there's no question. It, it's something Coach had and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Rang true in this game, which is you know they're not the kind of team and organization where where uh, the collective can be poor and they can still win. They you know because they have like one guy who's amazing or something. At least that's the way it is currently. And you know this was one of those games. Like there was a whole selection of everybody that played really well. And when that happens, you get a really good performance like this. And you could you could have picked among many people for man of the match. There were multiple candidates that had legitimate performances at that top level. You know, six, seven, eight players were all played really, really well. And when it all comes together, this team's pretty good. When you have a parity league like this, you know, second place down to 13th place, as Kansas City is demonstrating, can beat each other up on any given day because they're all pretty good teams in the end. You know, uh, when it popped up on the stadium screen, they announced that um, Ariola was man of the match. Yeah. You and I kind of looked at each other curiously, like, wow, that's an interesting selection. And then, to be fair, and I think you agreed with, I think you stated in your video afterwards that you picked Alara. Like, I had, uh, I, I was kind of going back before, back and forth between Paxton and Ayala Mendy. I picked um, Paxton. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but then I saw Garrett Melcher tweet something out from the club that kind of uh, supported. Ariola's the case for Ariola being man of the match and I, I thought he made a fair I mean look he scored a goal he had some other things happen in the game that I hadn't thought about in the moment and maybe he was a uh, this was arguably the best no arguably it was the best performance of Paul Ariola of the season Ooh, I, I would agree that he was definitely among the players that had a pretty good game and I'm okay with that idea i don't i don't think this was his best game of the season really it was, yeah it was pretty good there were a couple of games earlier in the year i think where he was before he got hurt in the first quarter of the season i thought he was pretty, had some Maybe, pretty good uh, i'm getting old games. buzz maybe i've yeah. just forgotten it then yeah i mean this was a, the better game that he's had in a while certainly i will definitely agree to that i just didn't feel like it was his best game of the year um you know i well, you're getting into semantics really i mean you know the difference between what's your best game and what's not your best game is like you know, it's certainly in the top five or six of the year for sure. I don't think a question about that. He was good. Um, his his off-ball run he made on O'Brien's goal, there were two goals actually that had really nice off-ball runs on them, was really quite decisive in, in that goal happening. I mean, if you just look at it on paper, O'Brien runs the ball in from midfield, but if, if O'Brien doesn't make that run, by the way, directed by O'Brien, if he doesn't make that run, then, it, then the defender and the center back aren't pulled out of position and O'Brien doesn't have a clear shot on goal, so... Uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about Obreon's goal here in a bit. Yeah. But his run and header for the opener goal uh, from Bernie's cross was fantastic. Yeah, it was nice. That was really good. You know, so sometimes it pays just to get where you're supposed to be, you know, which we could talk about several players on this team that when they're in the right positions are much better than when they're not. You know, it's, it's always true that if you can get into the box and get high percentage shots, it's good for the team. And, and that first half performance by everybody, in fact, was classic you know, Nico ball performance because they got the lead and they started sitting back. They only had like 40% possession and yet they had two shots and two goals in both shots on goal. Again, high percentage opportunities. That's the way this team plays. It's interesting about this league in that the way that the performance between these two teams kind of flip flop from game to game, you know, Dallas was kind of icky flat up in Seattle in the first game and Seattle, man, I was so surprised how, uh, muted Seattle was to start this game. They definitely came out a lot more enthusiastically in the second half, but for the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of this game, that did not look like the typical Seattle that we're used to seeing. Yeah. Yeah. There was even a quote from um, uh, more Jordan Morris, where he said that it was on them for not matching the intensity. 
And I think that Coach uh, Nico deserves a little credit for um, one or two changes they made that actually were really impactful. You know, um, Roldan kind of got the better of Farfan up there in game one. And so in game two, you know, partially out of the three-game series management, Coach flipped a script on them and brought in some Jun- Sam Junka, who's a much more physical, get-on-you kind of defender, much more body-up kind of defender. And Roldan didn't like that at all. He got marked right out of the game by uh, – Sam Junka. So that was a big part of what sort of diffused their play. I think a great deal early was the fact that that, that particular player rolled in is usually very effective was not. Um, and then Dallas, of course, just for the first 20, 25 minutes, they were just really on their game. They were being very patient, but yet getting forward in a positive direct kind of manner. And again, the mentality is everything for this team. And when you're at your home field and you have the right mentality, when you're getting forward, you're playing your combinations, you're getting good chances. Even when you went into the mid to low block, you still were proactive about your defending, which is what we talk about all the time, that you can defend but be proactive in it instead of negative. Uh, and that showed up too. So, you know, all phases of the game, Dallas mentality was right in this game. Uh, and it showed across the board. Mm. Well, I don't. How else do you want to get into the game? I guess we could talk. I just, I thought specifically uh, the three center mids in this game were yeah. really, really good uh, because you and I got to sit and watch the game together. We had a good laugh. You had a good laugh at my expense at pointing <laughs> out every time Liam Frazier did something with the ball, and I'll be yeah. damned. Uh, he had a really good performance. Did. Uh, but Mendy just continues to be this mm. guy um, who it just is so much fun to see play in person. Oh, it's ridiculous how good he is. And I hope that people can see it because I will admit that it's not flashy, but it's just recovery after recovery, you know, right place, right time, turning the team back, picking the ball up. His touch is so classic and clean. It's dependable. Oh, my gosh. And he just makes these little steps, these little moves, shuffles into a place where you can get him, with, find him, or he can pass it off. It's just exciting to watch when you watch a guy, even without the ball, he just makes these little slides or these little moves, these little five, 10 yard adjustments. And it makes the hairs on the back of, my, back of my neck stand up because you don't see that most of the time. He clearly is seeing the game better than everybody around him. And it really just is electrifying to watch a guy play at a capacity that most people in this league don't have. And it's so exciting to watch from a, a tactical observer kind of position. I just hope he can hold up, obviously, for a long season. He's fine now, of course, because he's only been here for a few months, but long long term we'll, we will we'll worry about that you called him man of the match in your video um your post game video but very quietly over the course of the last i don't know is it but is it six weeks or so yeah i really feel hurt, like yeah. yeah i feel like we're fi- we're finally after this long painful season really starting to see uh paxton play the way we expect him to play game in and game out yeah part of the what is really great about him the last tiny little bit is that he's adapted a role because of Alan Velasco. So game one up there, when Alan got hurt and Frazier came in through game two, Paxton had to take on that little bit of a higher role. You know, Frazier and Yarmendi are not going to be these box penetrating players. They're not going to make these runs underneath the 10 into the zone 14, as Dan likes to call it. You know, Yarmendi will make passes from deep like that, but he's not going to move up there on his feet. And Paxton had to sort of adapt his game. And in, the, in this particular match, you know, he had he was 82% passing, which is really good considering where the team was at as a collective. But he had 21 carries and five product, product, progressive passes and five recoveries. He just had a really quality game. You know, again, he's another guy who 
is physically much older than he actually is. And it's going to, in the long run, it'll be not interesting, but I'm afraid of where his career is going to go because of how banged up he is already in life. But, uh, you know, he's had to carry a really heavy load since he came back from this last injury stint because Legette is out, because the bench has been shortened, because now Velasco's out. And he's really risen to the occasion. So full credit to Paxton. He's, he's, he's leading this team, um, one of the leaders of this team, I should probably say more accurately, through his uh, positional play, his mentality, and his um, effort over the course of the time that he's in the game. He doesn't go the whole 90, but it's really remarkable how he's playing. Uh, he, he's 100% all the time. And there have been multiple times in the course of these two games where it's just purely his pressure and winning a ball deep yep. in Seattle's half that has created multiple chances for this team. And uh, it, it's definitely the packs that we've been looking for for some time. Yeah, he always has had a knack for like nipping in and, and sort of poking the ball away from people. He doesn't tackle hard like like uh, like Daniel Hernandez did, but he tackles with finesse. And he's always had a knack for that. And when he's playing this slightly higher role, he's doing a little bit higher of the field. And he also, like the other two guys in midfield, is doing a good job turning the opposition back by doing that kind of thing. Hmm. Now, let's talk about Bernie Camungo. And we know this as fans of this club. This is a reality that many of us have come to learn over the last 10 years, which is you could live and die by the youthful, yeah. uh, by the, <laughs> by playing the Utes, as they say. And, and we got the best of Bernie right off the bat. I thought his cross into the box for the goal was great. Him skinning knew who to uh, pull, to pull the foul and the penalty kick for the second goal was fantastic, but also trying to back pass from midfield to your goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> as a pass to Jordan Morris. is probably not the best idea. And not one you make uh, if you're a more seasoned veteran. Yeah, by the way, shout out to Iman Tulmasi for his overlap run on that first goal that created a lot of openings for the rest of the play. But yeah, you know, listen, Bernie is, and it's funny, I had a national media guy call me today talking about Bernie because he's, his stock is blowing up. Um, and we even had a laugh about the ten, the refugee story that everyone keeps telling over and over. Wait, um, what do you mean? What, what story are you talking about? Uh, oh, you may not be aware, Peter, <laughs> that Bernie is a, <laughs> sorry. Okay. So yeah, this game, um, Bernie, Bernie is a very, uh, instinctual player. His, his offensive instincts are fantastic. His timing on his runs is really, really good. He gets him almost exactly right all the time, gets right in and foot, foot race, foot race. There's no pretty much nobody in MLS that can sort of keep up with him straight up. Uh, you know, if he's, he's going to be even at best, if not, he's going to beat you to the ball. You know, sometimes the combinations and the service he's putting in are really, really good. Other times they're not so good. Um, combinations, defensive shape, when to press, when not. And particularly this one back pass is just an absolute horrific of a back pass. You know, those are the raw things. You know, we talk about how little coaching in the grand scheme of things this kid has had. It's only been a few years now. So, but the upside is just tremendous. I mean, he's already holding his own and doing game-breaking things in this league, and he's still just learning. You know, imagine where his upside will be when he actually has all these team concepts to dial in, and he's got four, five, six more years until he peaks out. Uh, he could be a spectacular player for probably somebody else by that point, and not Dallas. But um, it's exciting to watch him because he gets he gets him better all the time. You can see it happening, and he was such a vital part of uh, tearing Seattle's defense apart in this game. You know, the, the runs he's making that pull the defense apart. Those are the runs that Ariola most this year has not been making. He mm -hmm. has not been pulling the defense apart. And you can tell when you have a player doing it, how much of a difference it makes. You surprised he kept him in as long as he did? No, I think that the kid probably feels pretty good um, when he's not on turf. 
you know, when you, it's the ankle that's bothering him. And when you impact on dirt, it doesn't feel like when you impact on turf when you're running. So I think he's probably fine. And I think I'm sure he'll start next game. We'll get to the, the lineup later. But um, I think he's mostly healthy, you know, probably, you know, 80 to 85, 90% healthy. So I'm not, I'm not surprised he left him in. The season's almost over. You know, there's no reason to be, be super cautious if you're not going to actually damage yourself. You know, being in pain is not the same as being damaged. So an ankle twist or whatever it, it, it is, is obviously not damaged. It just is uncomfortable. So tactically, the game is a bit, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but maybe we should talk about it a little bit. Just kind of the attitude of the team coming off, uh, coming straight out of the game, uh, really attacking. But once you get up to nothing, I'm interested in your opinion if Nico is doing the right thing by kind of reverting back to that th- thing that we've <laughs> yeah. been frustrated by most of the season. Well, the thing about a mid or low block is that the reason why people play it is because it works. So um, Seattle, as we've talked about, is very similar to Dallas in style. So, you know, they can struggle to break down a block, too, just like Dallas does. You know, Seattle's at their best when they've you've seen Morris running at people. That's when they're really good. You know, when Roldan escapes on the wing and they can get those balls into Morris, they, they, they do a little more of the traditional cross in than Dallas does. But that's still they're very similar, similar in styles in that way. So given that way Dow struggles against the block, it's not surprising that they turned around and blocked back against Seattle. It's also human nature that when you're up two goals, you sort of relax a little bit and the other team starts pressing and trying to do good things. And so you have a natural reaction. The thing, the thing that's more tactically interesting to me, I mean, granted, I don't love it. And I think maybe they compressed a little too much, but you know, you can, I can accept it for the chunk in the middle, particularly because Dallas is really poor late in the first half. They give up a lot of goals late in the first half. And so if that can get them through that, which it did in this case, that's fine. Uh, the, the thing that was interesting to me was the switch to the 3-4-3 late. I did not like it very much, but Coach really did. He thought the guys that came in really pressed hard. I kind of felt like they there was a sort of a barrage of Seattle chances late and I did discuss that with coach and he said he thought that was more just from them throwing everything forward in, in desperation and not necessarily that the three, four, three wasn't working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't love that shape. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like it takes you too much out of what got you to that point in the game. Um, and there's too much for me when Dante Sealy comes in, there's too much where he runs at an 80% instead of a hundred percent that drives me crazy. So as long as he's given max effort, that makes a big difference in that particular shape. And, and Ansa did put in a fair bit of work up high in the limited time he was in there. So obviously scoreline, it functionally worked. You know, it's, I just don't, I don't really feel, it doesn't make me feel great when I see it happening. It makes me a little worried because there's been times where it's been a disaster. Well, it's, it's interesting to me because it's the, it's the debate between uh, clubbing the baby seal. You yeah. got Seattle down to nothing and you just, I had a sense that if they had just kind of kept with it, they may have, there was more opportunities in the game because Seattle was just not playing well at all. And I almost feel like his decision to do that, let Seattle back in the game, specifically in the second half when Seattle came out really hard. Seattle was defending the goal at the end of the field that you and I were sitting at. And and as we were watching, as, as um, Dallas was defending, I'm sorry, the yeah. half of the field that you and I were sitting at. And there were multiple times through the course of that um, where Seattle just kept getting build up as, as Dallas kept defending deeper and deeper. And it was pretty clear which team was the better team on the field. It was just a matter of if Seattle could f- un, you know unlock that... Uh, or, or fi- figure out that puzzle, um, and and 
and I that's where I I feel like maybe I'm not a big fan of of playing it that way because I I just feel they they really missed an opportunity to add more goals to this game before they decided to go into the turtle shell. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I do think that the, the way Dallas plays in that shell is somewhat effective in the sense that like if you look at the shot map for Seattle, like all but one shot other than the goal, all but one shot came come from outside the box. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be shooting from range on Martin Paz, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, other than when Bernie had the horrific turnover, that was really the only time that they unlocked Dallas. It, well, Morris just bulldogged Ibiaga because that's how what Morris is. You know, and other than, and then just beat everybody else to the chance. Well, there was the very close offside. Yeah, that, that's the other goal that, that got called back because of the offside, yeah. and we never, I never saw how accurate that was or not. Yeah, you know, there, there's multiple calls that could be debated in this game. I, I'm, I don't put it goes both ways. I mean, oh, we're going to talk about those. Don't worry. Oh, are we? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some from each way, and it, there's sometimes you reach a point where I'm just like, you just play the game. The refs part of it, you know, it's like it's like field conditions. Dealing with the ref is dealing with everything else. You know, I just felt like for the most part, Seattle wasn't really getting a lot of great chances. I didn't, I don't necessarily, I'm with you. I don't necessarily like sitting back that deeply, but you know, in the end, Seattle probably is a better team than Dallas and they were definitely pressing aggressively to try and get back in that game. And this is the Dallas MO, this mid to low block grind out is what they do. Yeah. And when you're up two goals and you're by nature going to be more hesitant and be more conservative. It just lends yourself to play this way. Buzz, it's the most dangerous lead in soccer. I know it is. <laughs> yeah. As demonstrated by the fact that they scored to make it 2-1. Well, I, again, I think the effect that I don't like is that I feel like it gave Seattle a reason to to ignite and and get a better attitude about the game frankly it just it seattle looked completely out of it for the uh you know up until dallas decided to start changing the way they were uh, attacking the game and, and that yeah. to me is the is the bad the negative effect of it hey look they won the game there's not too much to bitch about i'm um, dallas yeah. did, and so i don't want to i don't want to i don't want it to come off that way i just feel like they made it harder on themselves than they needed to well if you're if you're you know I don't like the XG stat, but if if you want to use that, for example, to try and spell this out a little bit here, if you look at the tracking of that through the 90 minutes, really through halftime, they only had like a 0.1 XG on all that alleged opportunity. And they scored the goal and that dropped them up, that jumped them up to like a 0.03. And it wasn't until they got a series of four shots, like in the minute 87 on, when they were just going crazy trying to get forward and score, that they actually got above a 0.5 XG. So it's like, as much as it seems like they were having a lot of the ball and we're having a lot of making it very difficult for Dallas and and getting forward, they really really weren't getting forward with opportunity. They weren't Mm -hmm. getting forward with good and good fashion. You know, of their 11 shots they had on the game, they only managed to get five of them on goal, which is less than 50%. So that's a relatively good, in my opinion, run of form. You know, Dallas had a couple of blocks and they had a couple of saves and and that's all it really takes, you know, to shut out a team like um, Seattle. You know, when you're making them fire from range, you know, again, that's like we talk about Dallas. They want to have all their shots in the box, right? Efficiency of shooting, high on targets per shots, low shot volume, but good efficiency and good opportunity. Seattle had a lot greater volume, but they didn't have as many opportunity, real opportunities to score. So that's the key. Uh, and the other thing is that... <laughs> It's kind of funny. You mentioned uh, Oberon's goal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I tell that story? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so the the break is on. 
the goal and and O'Brien has the ball. Ariola makes the run, and then the seas part, yeah, <laughs> the far yeah. post, and it's just because it's the line of sight. You and I have a direct line. We are we literally did, yeah. in line of sight, directly behind Obreon in a perfect straight line when this is happening, and it opens up, and it never in a million years dawned on me that Adier Obreon could hit that shot as well <laughs> as he did. One, I thought for sure he was going to pass it to Ariola. Everybody but did, obviously. I, yeah, I mean, Fry even thought so. Fry had cheated Sarf so far over to yeah. his left. He had left this, like, bank vault door <laughs> wide open. And I have to give Hot Air all the credit in the world because as easy as that shot is, it's also incredibly difficult uh, just because of the pressure. And he hit it perfectly, and it was such a wonderful goal. And you and I just looked at each other, and we laughed. Yeah, that's a that's a funny goal because he had one later that might have been easier than he whiffed. Yes, but uh, you know the the only thing that worried me was like because he's right footed that that ball would have curved, you know, wide was when he hit it that I was worried about. But he did a nice job with it, you know, and and he directed Obran to sorry Ariel to make that run and Ariel's run pulled both Nuhu and you're right the keeper out of out of line, uh, and it was a nice finish. It was well taken. You know, it's it's weird how he can do a harder thing to do and score and miss the easier one. This is Obreon being Obreon, man. You know, he's had a good month or so, so, you know, full credit to him, and he did a nice job when he came in. Did I see Ariola call that, like, their, the most F, like most typical goal of them? Or he, he, he talked about that goal in some way, essentially just saying, yeah, that's, that's extremely the type of goal that we like to score. Uh, I don't remember that comment. Maybe he meant the first one, which was really good passing and teamwork. But oh. that it could be the overall one he meant because that was such a funny goal. The way you know, in a way, I can buy that it might have been the that transition. Goal because, you know, yeah, they they turn them over, drop a transition back, catch them before they're ready, off ball run, create space. That's very typical of the way Dallas plays. Yeah, and uh, thank you for mentioning this because what I didn't do uh, and I should have at the beginning is when we're talking about the first goal. We talked about Ariola's finish. I talked about Bernie's uh, cross into the box, but we really have to admire and give credit for all of the buildup play prior to that. In fact, Matt Doyle even tweeted it and called it champagne football. <laughs> and I don't know, have you had a chance to go back and count the number of completed passes mm. that led up to that? I, I no. haven't. I mean, it's got to be approaching 20 passes. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good goal. You know, that that's the, the, the whole first... 20 minutes of the game, Dallas was just playing really silky football. Maybe it really was Seattle wasn't fired up enough or didn't have the right intensity because Dallas, you know, just controlled play and played the way they wanted to play and were having lots of room for their passing, their little quick passing that they do get forward. You know, I even tweeted out something about how, how I was enjoying how patient they were. They weren't having to be, there wasn't like a track meet. They were just building forward in these nice little combinations and, uh, it's really, really the first 25, 30 minutes of that game were just beautiful to watch, honestly, the way they were playing. If they can play like that all the time, they would be much better than they are. Yeah. If you, if you haven't gone back and rewatched the first goal, make sure you rewind it a, a full two minutes, I think it's about, uh, prior to the goal, just so you can see how they get possession of the ball and then how they keep it for an extreme amount of time. Uh, and just kind of work out that puzzle to create the opportunity and finish it off. It's really, really good stuff, and it's it shows what the team is capable of when uh, when they're uh, on it. So, 
Good stuff there. Okay, uh, what else from the game do you want to get into? I know there's, uh, I know that there is an aspect of this that we've got to talk about coming up for the uh, the game three uh, that you learned that you got from the very short amount of time you were allowed to watch training. Yeah, which is a bit of a huntsman dump. So everybody, hold on to that. I don't know if there's anything from this game, a three-one yeah. win, that you want to get into. Well, I want to get into something because someone had pointed out in the Discord that Dallas only passed at like a 66% clip, and that's really bad, and that's terrible. We shouldn't, you know, you don't want that and that kind of thing. You mean 66% completion rate? Completion percentage. Okay. Not possession percentage, completion percentage. You know, in other words, inaccurate passing effectively. And and that's true. This. MLS scored it at 66%. FB ref, which is where I look up a lot of stuff, had it at 67%. Whatever. It's not good. Uh, if you buy FB ref's stats, that's the third lowest of the year. 66 would have been the lowest of the year in terms of ability to complete passes. That So either way you slice it, that sounds terrible, right? Well, it actually doesn't matter. <laughs> if you took, if you look up the worst uh, 16 games I sorted it by passing percentage. So the worst 16 games this year when Dallas has been the poorest at completing passes, they're actually nine, four and three. (laughs) And if you take all the other games where they pass really well, they're three, seven and 10. So that's three wins, seven losses and 10 ties. So like nine wins when they don't pass well. So for some reason, when Dallas passes poorly, they're better. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I think it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter. See, I you think know. there's a there's another stat that's related to all of this that would make well like, make the conclusion clear as to what all of this means. Yeah, in particular, what we talk about is not. I don't want to dial back to Jesus. This is different. We talk all the time about this team that when they're at their very best is when they're waiting for you to come at them, and then they turn you over and they rapidly transition back. Uh, the other way. And there's a famous stat that came, I don't even remember what it came, what decade it came out where they figured out that most goals happen within something like two touches of getting possession. Um, and in the old days, they thought that meant that you should play very vertical and just get the field really quickly. What it turned out, the answer is, is when you turn people over. And that's why teams like Man City and Liverpool press the way they do. And Dallas doesn't high press and they don't press in volume, but they do wait for you. And when they do turn you over, they turn and they turn and go at you fast before you recover. So the overall possession numbers and the overall passing percentage numbers mean very little to this team. That's not when they're good. So it's like you can have these stats basically with FC Dallas that you're like, man, that sounds terrible. And it really has nothing to do with whether they're going to win or lose the game or not. So, okay. Then I guess we can set that aside. Yeah. Uh, I I'm not sure what that means ultimately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a. Uh, well, I I mean the the build up to the play. We just spent all this time talking about all this beautiful passing they completed yeah. leading up to the first goal. So right. I'm not I'm not really sure I knew I know what to talk. I I don't know. This is actually really good because this is exactly the way people think. People think Dallas never has the ball. They have these games where they have 40% possession. And then some games they have these really bad games where they're not able to pass it together. They can barely get forward. They can't break anybody down. Those things are both true. And they have nothing to do with how the Dallas wins or loses. They don't win or lose based on that. They win or lose based on their ability to turn you over and get at you. Now, when they have this really nice electric play, like the first 20 minutes, it's beautiful. And we love it and wish they would do it more. In the big picture, that's not how they win games. They win games with the way Obreon scored which is where they, they turn you over and, and yeah. just dribbles down there and taps it into the goal. 
Yeah. That's that's how they win games. Yeah. You know. No, no, so, you're absolutely yeah. right. No, you're correct. It's just it's a it's not fun. It's no. not sexy. I know. I know. <laughs> it's terrible football, but it wins apparently. I know. I felt like I was trying to be the, the I was trying to be nice and shiny and happy go lucky by pointing out all the beautiful champagne football that Matt it Doyle was. seemed to joint so much, but that's really not them. It's not them. <laughs> it's listen, not them. I really want that yeah. to be the team that I love. Not the not the I know. <laughs> turtle shell poke your head out and yeah. do that kind of saga. No. Well, this is the tragedy of FC Dallas this season and and you know, there's people we've had conversations with that, you know, you and I have talked about on this podcast and there are other people that we've heard this from too, that, that man, this team is boring, you know, to watch. And it really is. It there's is. So, yeah. I mean, the bad, bad passing doesn't mean they don't win. You know, low possession doesn't mean they don't win. They're just kind of killing the game off. You know, they're playing to win though. Right. You remember the conversation we had one time about the Academy where I watched the, the Academy lose to an Oklahoma city team. And I thought, Boy, that team was actually really well coached. They had one guy that was capable of doing anything, and they set themselves up to free that guy up, and they won the game. Mm-hmm. And I talked to an FC Dallas coach afterwards, and he was railing about how horrible they were coached and how nobody on that team is going to get any better. And, okay, listen, in the academy, yes, it should be about the progression of the kids. This Oklahoma City team played in the quintessential. The big six foot two, strong, fast guy was up front, and that's how they won the game. And so maybe in the academy, we don't want to do that. Well, at the MLS level, you sure as shit want to do that. You want to play to win. And the way Dallas plays to win is not sexy, it's often boring as hell. I, I totally agree with you. The first 20 to 30 minutes were so beautiful, and I wish they would play that way all the time. It's so much more fun, but that's not how this team gets results. This team gets results by other ways and most of the time you know when you get the nice part you got to enjoy it while it lasts because you know it's not going to last and you're Mm. almost certainly not going to get it up there in seattle yeah for sure which does take us to game three uh and unfortunately for the dear pod listener for the curious out there buzz has some bad news i think yeah, well, aside from not or being able to... Or is this even bad? Yes, this know. is bad yeah. news. I think it's bad news. Aside from being able to watch training, even when training is closed, you can watch the first 10 minutes and then you have to stop. And so the, for the first 10 minutes... The, thing the first was, 10 minutes is just essentially warming up, right? Yeah, it is. They were they were just kind of walking around and kicking the ball around a little bit. But what's noticeable is that Jesus Ferrer wasn't there. So uh, at the, afterwards, I asked Coach about it because we have admittedly seen Jesus poking at his groin or hernia or whatever is going on there for like the last month and a half. We saw it at the end of the game. Yeah. He, he went down the ground, and he pokes, you know, p- tries to push it back in. I have no idea medically what's going on. He's been fighting something for a month or two, right? We, we know this, we've talked about it. So he wasn't in training. And then afterwards I said, okay, Hey coach, Jesus has been fighting through this. What's going on. And he said, you know, it's the same deal. He's going to be a game time decision about whether he's starter bench, you know, that kind of thing. So, that's that's the big news um, is that let's call that questionable. I mean, I think that's fair. You know, it is a playoff series. You'd like to have him play, obviously. Um, if he's healthy enough to go, I imagine he'll be starting at the nine. If he's not healthy enough to go, I think the option is pretty simple. I don't think Jesus Jimenez is a choice there. I think it's got to be Obreon, who has played a little bit of the nine of late and has done a decent job there and even coming off the bench behind Bernie. So like if you have if you put O'Brien at nine, you can keep Bernie on the right, you can keep Paul on the left. Things that have been working can kind of be the same. Obviously, you're going to hope that Jesus comes through, um, you know, that game time decision and is able to go. But you know, we'll call him questionable and we'll see what happens. 
Well, if he has a hernia of any sort, and that's what it looked like, uh, you know, when he went down yeah. at the end of the game, he wasn't that far from us in the stands, and he did not look happy whatsoever. No. And he's doing. And if you've ever seen anybody or had a hernia, you know what you're doing when you're pushing on your abdominal wall, and that's exactly what it looks like he's doing. Yeah. And if that's what he's got, man, that's I mean, brutal. We're not diagnosing that, but no, we just we've but, been around a long time and we know what it looks like we're looking at. And like when when they are limited eliminated, if we get a press release that he's having a hernia surgery, it's not gonna shock me at all. Obviously, it's not bad enough that he's had to shut it down. He's able to play through it, but it certainly is impacting him. Mm-hmm. You know, as the coldness that he's having can certainly be attributed a little bit to this struggle, but at the same time when he had those two glorious chances up in, in the start of the game, game one, and then spent the rest of the game running away from it, that ain't hernia, that's mental. You know, the kid's a bit of a mess in my opinion right now, but he's obviously struggling with it physically as well because you can see him even like walking around during the game, he'll do a little pushing on it, you know, kind of. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, you could see it through the whole game. Yeah. I mean, uh, as cold as he is, uh, maybe it's for the best that – if you if you put Nobrion in and then have him off the bench or something, you know, or, or uh, I don't even know. It's it's so difficult to say that having Jesus out would be good. That's crazy. But he, you can't – he's just too good of a player in any given moment that you still really need him to come through if you're going to get – I mean, winning up there where you've won once ever, you're going to need something special to happen. And he's a guy who can be special even if he's been cold lately. So certainly you, you want him to go if he can go. So we'll just see what happens. It'll be game time and call. You know, I'm sure he'll do his best to get out there. But, you know, I know that it's not bad enough that they're not shutting him down. So he can play through it. It's just he's got to be only 85, 90 well, percent. It'll be interesting to A, to see if he starts, B, if he's even on the bench. You know? Yeah. And I think yeah. it, it depending on how that re, uh, turns out will be the best indicator of where he really is at. Yeah. The other thing to keep an eye on uh, in my mind, one of the. Again, we didn't see the game in Seattle in person, but getting to see them in person on the surface at Toyota Stadium, it's clear to me that the surfaces, uh, the surface in Seattle is such a clear advantage for Seattle, not because it's just turf, but it's an NFL surface. You know, it has less rubber, less crumb. It's harder um, than the surface, the turf surface in Portland, which is a proper soccer installation, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that we talked about after game one was the poor game Ilara had and how much better he looked playing on grass in Frisco. Now going back to Seattle, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of puts up a similar performance. And if it is, I think we're going to be able to chalk it up to just his mm. in, in unfamiliarity of playing on that kind of uh, yeah. uh, thing. Well, let's be clear. His bad game was relative to everybody else. Still really, really good. It just was slightly worse for him. Yeah. Yeah. By all measures. I, I think that they'll play him. Um, I'm kind of guessing based on, you know, some conversations and various things that, that he'll be in the deeper sort of, um, not pure six role, but the stay at home role. And, and it'll mostly be sort of a double pivoty kind of look when Frazier will be moving in and out next to him. But Frazier is going to be more mobile at this point and be more aggressive and more physical. So you want him to run around a little bit more, uh, him and Paxton will give you that energizer kind of effort in front of Yarmini a little bit. So that's kind of what you're looking at in midfield, I think. And are, are uh, Facundo and Martinez just done for the season? No, not done. They're both in training. I just don't think that they're going to be picked. Um, I mean, Martinez at this point, coach told us, you know, almost a month ago now that that was settled, that basically it was going to be Ibby and Nicosi the rest of the way, but that they would need 
Martinez coming off the bench at times. Um, we've also seen that not happen as much. He, he did roll his ankle, you remember, before game one. He got mm-hmm. rolled by Obreon, so that's why he missed that. And and, and Chilco can play that back three, so they kind of have been doing that some too. But I think Martinez will still be on the bench and be available. Facundo um, was injured and then was gone. So, like, some of that with him was, like, um, you know. For his, yeah, goal, for his, um, get his green, green card. card. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So some of that was just, like, you know, availability. You got to be here and be getting ready. Because there is a difference between – you know, being fit and being like 100% game fit and sharp and ready to get back in there. Like with special LeJet, for example, LeJet is cleared. He's 100% healthy, but he's not 100% game fit. He looks like a dude that's been sitting around for two months doing nothing. You know what I mean? I mean, not literally doing nothing, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, he's not going to, he's not viable as a choice to start. You can get 20, 30 minutes out of the guy, maybe. You know, it's just not the same thing. People, people sometimes don't understand the difference between being 100% fit and being game sharp and game ready to start. Those are two very different things. So I guess we're at the point where you just kind of predict what you think the starting 11 will be uh, for the game. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Junka, by the way, left back. I think that he really shut Roldan out in this last game. Um, and and Farfan maybe looks a little bit of that late season fatigue that he gets because he plays too many damn minutes. They got to work on that again. They didn't. They didn't fix it really when I had hoped they would. And Nicosi and Ibiaga is obvious. Tumas is obvious at that point. There's nobody else that can do that side. Um, the midfield is uh, obviously Er Fraser and Paston. There's no one else that's ready to start there. Um, and anyone that wants to see Seeky can forget about that. He won't even be on the bench. And then the front line is going to be Paul and Bernie because they've been doing really well. And then it's just the game time call. Is it? If, if Jesus can go at all, I'm sure he'll be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just don't think there's any other option but Obreon. Jimenez is not a viable choice at this time. You know, it's just – it looks like watching you or me run around sometimes. He's slow. I mean, it's not really, of course, but it sort of feels like you're watching somebody that's slow. He might actually be slower than Frank O'Hara, which is amazing. Um, so there really is – you know, Miata's not rosterable because of the international slot problem. Um, I mean, Eugene Ansa could factor maybe, but – if you're picking him and Obreon, the way Obreon's been playing, you pick Obreon, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and so Ons is a viable – you know, he did a nice job last game when he came in. One of his better off-bench performances. I still hope that maybe next year, you know, when, when he's when he has a full spring, that maybe we might see a little more out of that guy because otherwise he's just going to be roster filler. Yeah, you and I had you know? a, uh, you and I had an interesting conversation about him and Obreon um Saturday night that I will save for another episode about next yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, you said some things to me about that, that I were kind of, I was kind of surprised by. So yeah, um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, all right. Well, I feel like that's the lineup and that's where yeah. we're, that's what you're looking at. And it's in Seattle. Uh, you're going to hear a thousand times over the course of the broadcast and leading up to the game that Dallas's road record in Seattle is miserable. And it is, um, but we'll have to see how it all, how, well, you know, that's why they play the game as they say, Buzz. That's it. You know, the it's, it's an official record is one win there all time. And when you have a scenario like that, which has long flights, turf, big crowd, pressure playoffs, coach and I today talked about the intensity difference of these games to regular games. It's going to come down to mentality, which is funny that we've gone full circle, right? That was the word of the season mentality. Mm-hmm. And the big difference between game one and game two was just that at, at home, 
there was a comfort level and you talked about the first 20 minutes, how they were flying and they were doing their executing their plans and they were looking good going forward. And even when they defended, they defended proactively, you know, everything about that game two performance was the right mindset that you want to have. So the bottom line is you have to figure out how to take that mindset up to Seattle. If you can go out on their court and play the way you played at home and not let that crowd get to you and not let the atmosphere get to you and not let the turf get to you and be proactive and be positive and play the way you're capable of playing. Uh, then I think you can give yourself a chance. It's going to be difficult. You know, you're going to have to keep the game really tight like they do zero or one. If it gets high scoring, you're never, you don't have a shot. You got to keep it close and hope you can steal it. You know that. And that's in the end, what more can you ask for? It's game three. It's now single elimination. You know, you don't have to get a, more goals than them or anything. You just win, you know, and you could play for 0-0 zero, zero and go into a shootout and you got pause on your back pocket, which is nice if you really want to, you know. So I, 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 there is a chance. It's not a good chance, but if you can if you can bring some mental toughness and, you know, get, you're getting paid a lot of money to play soccer, man. Let's go. Show up and play. Well, and if they, Maybe if, give yourself a shot. If Jesus is out and Obreon ends up starting up top and they end up winning <laughs> in Seattle uh, – Wowie, uh, that would be a really Oof. weird, uh, <laughs> a really weird yeah. twist in the script that I was not well, anticipating. If they can get through this game, there's a delay uh, afterwards, and you can actually get people back and healthy and yeah. feel good again. You know, and uh, but it, without Jesus, that's going to be a mental blow because you know he is a leader of this team. He's not a captain in the traditional sense, but he is a leader in terms of um, performance. You know, and and or or if, or if Obreon can be Obreon, who a guy who. The water just slides off that guy, right? Water off a duck back. So he doesn't pay attention to anything. He just goes out there and does what he do, does. You know, <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but he never changes. You know, he's a super positive guy. So maybe that's the right pill is to have that be Obreon, right? Two second memory. Did you see the Obreon uh, Instagram or tweet or whatever it was this week after the game of him? Have you seen this interaction with Obreon online? Mm -hmm. you, are you aware of this? I mean, I knew he did the dance thing. Other than no, that, no, no, no. So I guess yeah. he, I don't know if it was a, a tweet or an Instagram post or what it was, but on his account, it was in English. It said, hey, thanks so much. This is how we play. I'm so proud. Thanks for coming out and supporting <laughs> us and blah, blah, blah. I remember and, now, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, Nikos, he was like, yeah. Hey, Obreon, when did you learn English? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, by the way, one of my favorite moments of the game was when um, Paul subbed out and he handed the armband, captain's armband to Iara, and Iara turned around and ran 20 yards over Nikosi and gave him the armband. Oh, and Nikosi tried to shake it off, and Iara Mindy insisted that Nikosi take it and put it on and helped him put it on. So yeah. I thought that was really cool. Man, there, you know, actually, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a moment in the game that I think has gone largely uh, forgotten which is Nikosi's tackle. I think it's on Jordan Morris at the top of the box to save, uh, keep Jordan from just dribbling freely into the box. It was such a good tackle. Stand yeah. up, uh, just f just hard tackle, won the ball, and then played it forward. Hey, Nikosi's really, really good. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like him quite a bit. I mean, in terms of this team, yeah. he's really uh, quite special. Well, he he's grown so much mentally, you know, we, we've been talking for two years about how he should be starting, and he wasn't. And this year, they finally gave him the keys to the bus in the back. And his mental maturity has just been phenomenal. And you remember we talked about it multiple times, like in the middle of the season, all of a sudden we were like, there was like an explosion in his attitude, not in a negative attitude, in a positive attitude of realizing that he was the guy and telling everybody where to be and how to be 
And this moment of Yara giving him the armband, to me, shows so much respect from Yara, who's just got here and recognizes what's happening with Nikosi and what a big player and important player he is. And that level of respect is phenomenal. And the back half of this season, Nikosi has become the dominant defender on this team and the dominant and one of the dominant leaders on this team. And that, that I love watching the maturity of a player coming to fruition. What we've expected for years is finally here. Uh, and it's just fantastic, the player he's become and the leader he's become. I just I love it. All right, and before we finish up, real quick uh, conversation about some of the calls in this game. I know this isn't everybody's <laughs> favorite uh, conversation to have, but I do think this one's interesting because it does pose um, – uh, it makes for a, an interesting debate. Obviously, the Seattle fans – well, I'll start with the other one first, which is uh, Dallas fans feeling hard done by on the incident between uh, Ibby and Jordan Morris on the goal that Jordan scores because yeah. Morris bodies Ibiaga off the ball very well. And yep. I think a lot of Dallas fans thought that should have been a goal disallowed for a foul on Jordan Morris. I thought uh, Ibby just failed to just lost a battle there. I thought that was fair and square for Jordan to have won that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm with you. That's just soccer. Morris is a big, strong guy. That's what we talk about: core strength. We talk about power. He just won that duel. He just outmanned Ibiaga. Straight and up. The other, and the other one I think is a bit more interesting, which is as the game is coming to a close. Uh, I can't remember who crossed the ball in for Seattle, but the ball comes in. Pause makes a very clean, uncontested, uh, uh, you know, uh, grab of the ball from the cross. But what's happened is that um, not Diaz Arce, <laughs> Rui Diaz. <laughs> Rui Diaz. <laughs> yeah. I called him Diaz Arce in the game. I know, I know you did. <laughs> yeah. We had a good laugh. I mean, how old is that guy's got to be a hundred years old now? Oh, um, yeah. Rui Diaz is making a run into the box, trying to get to the cross, and Jesus has full jersey pulling on him as they get into the yeah. box. Yeah. Rui Diaz goes down, obviously, but he was never going to get to the ball. And yeah. I, I think Seattle fans, I, I can see the argument of why, hey, look, that's a foul, period, the end. I don't know. Where did you land on that? But I, when, when they stopped it for review, I, you and I were convinced they were going to turn around and give them the PK. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus grabs his jersey clear in day and not just like a little. Like, it's a no. big, full-on tug. No, he stretched you know, the shirt out. It's now a size bigger than it was when he put it on. Yeah. Why there's some nuance there that's not – a PK, I don't honestly know. But the ref didn't call it, and the VAR didn't call it either. So I honestly don't have an answer for it. Really. Well, no. Remember, VAR did call him over to go look at it, and he declined to. He the yeah. ref declined to uh, give the PK. Well, yeah. Usually, when they call you over, you're get, it's going to be switched because they don't. They intentionally don't call you over if it's close because they don't want to make the ref look bad by constantly questioning his play. So usually they don't call you over until they're pretty sure that it's happening. And for him to look at it and then say no, there must have been I don't know what it was. I mean there's well, got I think to it's be that, something. I think it said he was never going to get to the ball. Yeah. And I, mean, and, I and I think again I I so there's this thing called Law 18. There are 17 laws in the book. There's an imaginary one, a mythical one called Law 18, and that is a, that's the application of common sense. Yeah. When the rest of the laws in their application don't make sense to the scenario, then there's an adage about applying common sense. And I think that's what happened in that case because it would have been an absolute travesty to give Seattle a penalty kick 
on a situation that in no way, shape, or form was ever going to result in even an opportunity on goal. Yeah, there's one thing a lot of people don't understand about soccer referees is they have ultimate power in the game to call it the way they want to call it. And that's that idea of why it seems you say the common sense. And one example of that is that the referee has the clock um, instead of the stadium. Another example is, uh, I'll compare it to NBA. An NBA ref walks around with the whistle in their mouth because when a foul happens, it's a foul and they blow the whistle. There's no... Literally, when you take referee 101, they tell you to carry the whistle in your hand because the delay it takes for you to raise your hand to your mouth gives you a second to think about it mm -hmm. and make a decision about, is it, is it advantage? Do I carry on? Should it even be a foul? What's the circumstances of that moment? So there's a built-in ability of a referee in soccer to make those kinds of decisions, as you say. So all I, all I can come up with is what you're saying, which is that it's so far away from the play, or maybe it's late enough in the play that it doesn't matter you know, obviously, if he swings at him at that point, it doesn't matter where you are if you swing at somebody. But a grab of a jersey, there's a lot of grabbing of jerseys on every play. You know, I don't. And I, I think Rui Diaz makes a, an absolute meal out I'm of it. I'm sure too. he makes a meal out of it. Maybe the refs mad at uh, Rui Diaz. I mean, who knows, right? So, I'm, like, I don't, I don't have a definitive answer other than to say that you and I both were like, that's going to get reversed and be a PK, and it didn't. So we were both shocked by it. You know. So was the Ibby Morris one, which was just Morris being a badass. <laughs> that was all that one. Yeah, was. that dude's bigger than I remembered. Uh, yeah, by the isn't way, he? and and if and, and if the referee had given the PK, I wouldn't have bitched about it too much because yeah. it is, you know, it, it was a terrible decision on Jesus's part, and man, we would be railing on him right now for that if, in fact, it had gone that way. So, well, the, you he know, really uh, lucked out. Another an indicator that Jesus has lost a little bit of his burst right now, probably that he had to grab like that because that's not usually he shouldn't have any problems keeping up with Rui Diaz. I no, I think you know and that's definitely a foul, and in almost any book that's a foul. You got to be smarter than that late in the game, mm. you know, because that could have changed the way things are going. Certainly yeah. at that point. All right, well, Friday night, uh, the game is late, 9 o'clock Dallas time, because obviously it's on the West Coast, yeah. and there's a watching party, I believe. It is on the Apple TV. It's not on Fox up in Seattle. Can the burn do it this one time? When was the last time? When was the one win in Seattle? I don't remember off the top of my head. Do uh, you know? Breck Shea, 2011. It's the yes, only win. Yes, yes. And then the, the time they beat them in the playoffs was the um, Walker-Zimmerman PK down here to yes. advance past them is the only time they've advanced past Seattle. So, mm. you know, it's listen, Seattle is almost always good. They're almost always in the top half of the West. You know, they always have that home field advantage. Dallas has struggled with them all the time. You know, it's, it's one of the most difficult home fields in MLS, that one up there. So, you know, it, it's a bitch. And by the way, speaking of home fields, 11th sellout of the year in this game for Dallas. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, that is – I mean, considering that they've had 18 home games and they've sold out 11 of them, last year they sold out eight games, which was a club record, and they've beat that this yeah. season. It's a huge, huge. achievement. Yeah. Um, I still continue to call it the most underreported sports story in DFW, but – whatever um after today i don't care anymore um and so uh, uh, uh i you know uh, credit goes where it is deserved in yeah. that case by 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 many other team standards even in this market you'd be like that's terrible but no 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 for this club that's awesome 11 shutouts that's serious progression that's seriously movement in the right direction if they keep selling on games i'm going to quit going i mean it's fantastic <laughs> 
That is another funny conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was a lot more fun when there was nobody here. It was uh, Life was so easy. Yeah, my favorite stretch of FC Dallas Awesome is at the end of COVID. Yes. When you and I would go and there'd be like 10 other people there. Those are my favorite games of all time. <laughs> you could walk in five minutes yeah. before the game, sit down. Nobody oh. was around you. Nobody was getting up, going to the bathroom or getting popcorn. You and I took like six seats each, just yes. spread out. Man spread everywhere. Our old man's man spread. So, it was so yeah. great. Yes. Yep. And those was, two British dudes were behind us and we were laughing the whole time. Yes. God, yeah. that was fun. Those was were fun. the good old days. I know. Bring back COVID. Yeah. Fans, go away. Yeah. For Let sure. me have my game to myself again. Uh, and by the way, full credit to the absent one, Dan Crook, for predicting Kansas City's beating of Seattle to advance in the MLS playoffs. And look at Poppy finishing off Nashville last night to advance. Now they will wait to find out who finishes up between Atlanta and Columbus as they now have advanced to a game three. But I'm so proud of Poppy. Man, I hope this works out in yeah. his favor. And, uh, yeah, Salt Lake pulled a game three, so that's good. And uh, we'll see how all this uh, finishes up as the season goes on. I started hearing Poppy at Atlanta talk the other day. That I didn't like the sound of that at all with Garth Lagerway. Oh. oh, my God. That's, I don't want to hear that. And Portland hired. No, I can't believe Portland hired uh, your boy Neville. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that's uh, no. You know, you mentioned it. You you were kind enough to come do the radio show last weekend, and your suggestion about San Diego makes yeah. the most sense. It gives Poppy a, oh, yeah. a season to take off, build his thing, do it completely under his construction. That's a yeah. dream scenario, and I'm oh, sure that guy's system. willing. That guy's just itching to give him an absolute. <laughs> Brinks truck of money to come down there and do that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and it, it certainly is a place that Oscar has lived down there uh, right across the border <sighs> and would probably would love to live. And plus, he, you know, the Spanish bilingual, you know, would play in that market. Have you ever uh, been down? Have you ever spent any time in San Diego? Yeah, I went, went down there for a bowl game one time and went to the zoo with Amy. The weather's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's nice. There's that place on the beach, that, that hotel with the lights on it. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry. The Coronado, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that place was super cool. Yeah, just all, all around awesome. By the way, uh, Amy and I had got a real kick about when, when you and I were at the game, and then like everyone that came up was like, "Where's Dan?" They couldn't believe that the two of us were there without Dan, and we were like, "No, he's in the press box." Guys, my yeah. response was, "Buzz is making him work yeah, making up him in work. the press box." So, <laughs> dude, you're a rock star in that stadium. By the way, I I so get such a thrill out of people recognizing you and walking up and saying hello to you and thanking you for your coverage that just warms my heart to no end i love it that that alone is the reason to go to the games <laughs> is just watch people fawn over buzz carrick it's oh, great well that's a little heavy but it's like yeah it's like that all the time that started when i started doing the um the three things and the little teasers of the podcast or whatever when i started doing that is when that started happening. People started recognizing me at games, you know. Which is hey, I, for, I meant to mention this last week. You know, at the end of uh, a couple episodes ago, we gave out awards. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm and i serious. I think they need to be called the Buzzies. <laughs> they're officially the Third Degree Awards. The but thirds, their nickname, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Third Degree Awards. My nickname for them is The Buzzy. Okay. And I am not kidding when I say the award is a gift card to Starbucks. Mm. Like we go get like we get a stack of like five or a uh, five dollar or ten dollar gift cards to Starbucks, and we have a whole thing where we go up to one of the practice and after practice we get to video <laughs> giving the players their buzzy award. I'm not doing that. No. Why not? <laughs> no, no, I don't. 
Oh, oh no thanks. Bits are fun, that. Buzz. Yeah, I'm not a bit guy. God damn That's why it. I'm not in talk radio. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy I think it's funny that you want to call him the buzz. The trophy is going to be a picture of me in the stands with my feet over the chair in front of me, like scratching my <laughs> belly, like man spreading in an empty stadium. That's the trophy. <laughs> Somebody make uh, Gen AI create that image for us, please. Yeah, the buzzies. Okay. Well, all right. I'm not sure that any of them would care. Half of them don't know who I am. Well, they would then, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, they would. When they're drinking yeah. their warm Java on a cool fall morning, they're free. Let's tell you the story of the strength and conditioning guy who's from Spain and it doesn't speak as near as I can tell a lick of English. He came up to me one time after training and he was trying to say, and I don't know what in broken English, but he, he kept saying, are you the guy? Is that you? Are you the guy? Are you the guy? And I was like, oh my God, was he mad at me? What's going on? I had to get somebody to finally ask him. And he was trying to ask me, was it, am I the guy that does the Instagram with the little videos after the game? And that's what oh. he was asking me. Oh. So I said, oh, yeah, yes, that's me. But I was worried he was mad. He was going to be like, Are Well, then what did he like, say after that? Nothing, because he was speaking English. Oh. That was it. I was he like, just I wanted to know if that was you. Yeah, I guess he liked him, I guess. I don't know. You know, He, he was smiling and, and shaking his hand. And, you know, and, and I don't speak any Spanish at all, and he doesn't speak any English at all. So somebody just told me later what he said. And so it was just funny that. I he struggled to ask me if I just asked me if I was the guy and I was I was like the guy doing what? <laughs> of course I said yeah I said yeah I'm the guy you know but you know what we should do Buzz speaking of bits mm. since people love to meet Buzz we should uh, mm. tell everybody you're going to be somewhere in the stadium before the game and we can get a chair and you could sit down and take pictures <laughs> with Buzz and children can sit in your lap like Santa Claus. No, thank you. <laughs> We're okay. not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, you may not speak Spanish and he may not speak English, but you and that guy share a common language of soccer. Yeah. Apparently, not enough to know what he wanted. It didn't cover Instagram. He didn't have it. He didn't have that word in his vocabulary. All right. Well, we missed Dan because I really wanted to hear him uh, uh, talk about the game and this morning and all that stuff. But I'm sure he uh, has a very good reason for not making it. And I hope he is OK and well. Well, his uh, text says he fell asleep. <laughs> Seriously. OK, I guess I, I guess that's acceptable. Maybe he was very, very sleepy. Uh, he did. He did work from home today. So, you know, uh, OK. Yeah. Very good. Well, Buzz, thank you so much, man. I had a blast watching the game with you. Yeah, it's uh, funny. Saturday, you, you and Amy. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll get a season ticket to sit over there. Yeah. If, if they advance to the finals and Sporting Kansas City gets to the to the semi, then they'll, they'll have a game here. Okay. It's <laughs> the only way it can happen. All right. Very good. Third degree. The podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop all the latest gear over there. Soccer cleats, shin guards, t-shirts, gloves, man, keep your stuff, everything that you need. I got all the latest FC Dallas gear, too. As a listener of this podcast, of course, 20% off at Soccer90.com when you use the code ThirdDegree. 20%, that's not nothing. Get yourself ready for the winter. Soccer90.com. Some exclusions do apply. Well, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for being here to host. Uh, any old time. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week, win or lose, on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Dan, wake up. Wake up, Dan. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree.
Tell the green air by care. 